I just think God's come and kind of like destroyed my heart in what I wanted to share this morning. So I'm going to try and um, can someone just help me quickly just to take this down, please. Thanks. I really had no intention to cry. Because my message is not about that. But when Brett said this morning, and he mentioned the word lonely, not feeling part of family, I felt God take me back to a place eight years ago. And my heart just broke. (laughs) And it kind of opened up a wound that I thought I'd completely dealt with. But the realization of the power of the presence of God is just so amazing that He's gracious to allow you to come to a place of where you feel so strong, but yet vulnerable. Some of you know what happened. Others don't. I just felt God said, I'm going to share a little bit about that because He's faithful to restore and He's faithful to bring you into a place of family. And I've always been one who has spoken about family and loving. And we love, my wife and I, we love to be hospitable. And our kids, every day we pick them up from school and this is no lie. They ask, who's coming tonight? Where are we going? They just, they love people. And it's, it's something God has given us as a family. And we, we don't want to lose that. But we also deal with things. And in this, like, in call it the race to be successful in business and try and make a way where, where people have spoken things over your life and you think, like, I'm going to prove them wrong. And then one day you make a decision that didn't quite line up with, with what was perceived to be the right decision or, or God's plan and so on. And, yeah, we were asked to step off of eldership. And it was a very difficult thing because I felt that God... This decision was not made in ignorance. It was made to the best of my knowledge. I thought I was doing the right thing. And yeah, I was blinded. I was deceived by, by things that I would, was hoping for. But God had a plan and he, he worked things in my heart. And he brought me to a place of like sitting in the back of the church there from being on eldership teams, leading and coming to sit at the back with a critical heart for three years. A heart so critical that I didn't want to see people. I wasn't even interested in people. And God rebuked me the one day. He said, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. And don't be concerned to what I've called them to. You see, very often we see what's happening in church. and We see what's happening in people's lives. And and we strive for things. 
but we forget what God's doing in our own heart. We yearn for family. We want to fit in. That's, I mean, each of us, we want to be, who doesn't want to be loved? Okay, one person. <laughs> so, long story short, after eight years, we were brought back onto eldership. That was never my aim to come back. I didn't want to. It was something God had called me to. But the hurt was so bad. And when I felt I dealt with it and life started showing some form of restoration, and we've been incredibly blessed. But no matter what a circumstance might look like, if your heart has not been completely healed, the circumstances are of no reflection of where you are in life. So you might say, well, what does that have to do with uh, what I'm going to speak about this morning? So yeah, I just, I felt God say I needed to share that because I couldn't, yeah, not share that. So I'm still on a journey of restoration. I'm still on a journey of, um, yeah, my wife and I and our kiddies, we're incredibly blessed. Um, and I don't want to kind of spoil what I'm saying now, but I think, you know, it's, it's the mere fact that we've been plugged into family that has allowed us to come through. God knows what he's doing when he puts you somewhere. No one here, whether you're visiting or whether you've been with us for 10, 15 years plus, is here by mistake. If you feel you are here by mistake, we want to welcome you in with open arms. Because God makes no mistakes. Reflecting back on the hurt, God reminded me of something else this morning. And it's a pity I don't have that example yet, but I want you all to imagine a glass of water, call it a liter, and I end up taking bark and sand and not little stones, but bark and sand and leaves and stuff, and I throw it in. And obviously the water was clean, but having thrown in the bark, the sand, the leaves, etc., the water becomes dirty, it becomes polluted by things. And I felt God saying it's a bit like life. You know, he, when we become saved, he, he purifies us. He no longer sees us as sinful beings. Through the blood of Jesus, he sees us. But yet in our own lives, we reflect on the leaves, the sand, the bark. We reflect on the obstacles in our lives. And the question I want to pose to you this morning is, how do we clean that up? Do we use a spoon and scoop it out? What do you guys think? Sif. So you say we've got to pour the water out and sif it. Shh. <laughs> yes, exactly like that. Pour more water in. And it's a bit of a longer process than sifting it. Sifting it's not wrong. But you won't retain what God originally done if you throw the original water out. God's original work and intent for you today is no different to when he created you. His original intent and purpose is no different today than before you were born and he called you by name. His intent and purpose today is to have his kingdom come in and through you in a relationship that is so much more intimate than anything you and I have ever known. 
So if we sit here today with criticism in our hearts, the bark, if we sit here with gossip, the leaves, if we sit here with unforgiveness, the sand, those little sands of irritation, I want to encourage us that, that as we hear what God is wanting to say, we open our hearts and we allow Him to pour by His Spirit more water in, that all of those things come to the surface and overflow. And his original intent and purpose is revealed to you again. So yes, I'm going to speak on family. Um, I was going to go into the Greek and the Hebrew, and, but I think God didn't want me to. <laughs> so yeah, when I, when I mention family and the idea, um, yeah, Wesley, that includes you eh? on that side. <laughs> We all, we all got an idea of what family is. Um, and the question is, that idea is shaped by how we've seen family, how we've grown up, and how we perceive family and friends and so on. And um, I've shared a little bit about myself and what we've been through. But, and those who know me obviously know I'm not an only child. Okay? Those who know me have met my father. The question is, have you? Do you know my brothers and sisters? Have you really met my father? Because if you haven't, I want to ask those who are my brothers and sisters. That maybe, you guys maybe don't know them, but I just want you to stand. If you're my brother and sister. See, this is an example of what God has brought me into. This is an example of family. Now, next to you, you might have your wife, your kiddies are at the back, and yes, that's family. But when you become saved, God adds you to a family. You can sit, thanks. I was in a way hoping you wouldn't catch it so I could carry on with my, but well done to you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a... So yeah, and for, for others might go, but geez, that's not really his, his family. And, and I want to I break that down for you this morning because the concept of family is very, very important in the Bible. We see the lineage of Jesus. But when we look at that, not all of us know where he came from. Many of us, when we get saved, we just, we know about Jesus. And like, so I'm not going to look at the lineage, but I want to look at the physical and the theological sense of what family is this morning. And I'm not going to have many scriptures, about 53 I think Hannah's got written down, um, but at least 12 of them on family. So we know that in the beginning, the concept of family was introduced um, through Abraham, and that's in Genesis 1 verse 28, so if we can put that scripture up, please, thanks. So we can see that the scripture reads, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So in that scripture, there's a few things. God said, be fruitful. He said, be multiply. Govern it. And then it carries on. And we don't need to put up Genesis 2 verse 24. 
But God's plan for creation was for man and woman to marry. Okay? And to have children. That's where he said, be blessed with a wife, with a husband. Be fruitful. Okay? Go forth and multiply. So man and woman would become one flesh. And through marriage, they would have children and become a family, which will eventually be the essential building block for humanity today. So whether you're married or not, whether you're young or old, at one stage in your life, you were born. You were born into a physical family. Whether you had a mom and a dad or not, and I'm going to come to that because God is not an orphan God. He doesn't make mistakes, and he leaves no one behind. We see the importance of of family through the Mosaic law, or the covenant, where God gave Moses, um, which is pretty much seen in the first five books of the the Old Testament. Um, Yeah, which is the, the law that God revealed to Moses. We can take, sorry, we can take that scripture down, thanks. For example, the two commandments out of the, the multiple commandments that God gave, two of the ten refer to family. The one refers to maintaining a cohesiveness in family where God wants to preserve the authority that parents have over children. And if we look at society today, we look how broken that is. Okay? But I want us to remember that we're looking at the Word of God we're looking at something that is infallible. We're taking that and we're asking God to reveal in our own lives something today. The seventh commandment prohibits adultery. It protects the sanctity of marriage. You might go, but okay, but how does that fit in today? I don't think I need to explain the divorce rate today. I don't think I need to explain how Broken marriages are being healed and restored because of the faithfulness of God. From these two commandments, all the others, and I'm not saying love your father comes from this. I'm saying that out of the Mosaic laws that God gave Moses on how to, these two reflected on family. And yes, they're Old Testament scriptures. And you go, but we are New Testament. Well, yes. How does it go? The old is, the new is contained in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. So what God reveals to us in the New Testament, Jesus himself clearly speaks against frivolous divorce in Matthew 19. The Apostle Paul talks to to Christian homes on the twin commands of parents not to provoke children. So don't provoke your children. Why? It creates animosity. It breeds something of division. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul speaks of the unbelieving spouse being sanctified through a believing spouse. So you might go, okay, you know, but how is that relevant to me? If you stay to the end, you will find out. So with that, I want to look at the theological concept, because now your brains are switched on. 
No, I'm not going to delve so deep. But while Jesus was still talking to a crowd, and, and this we see in Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50, and many of us know the scripture, but while Jesus, you can put that up, please, Hannah, Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50, while Jesus was talking to a crowd, his mothers and brothers were stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone came in and told him, your mother, we, yeah, someone, okay, your mothers and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Pointing to his disciples, he said, yeah, are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. So yeah, we see even Jesus himself regarded his disciples through their heavenly relationship, the kingdom relationship, the theological, the spiritual relationship that he had in higher regard than his own family. Now, I kind of, some of you are thinking, well, how does that, I want to kind of break a misconception here. Jesus isn't saying that family is not important. He's not dismantling what was said in the Old Testament and going, no, I'm breaking that whole theological thought process and now I'm saying this is more important. I'm saying what Jesus is doing here, he's saying that the most important family connection that we can have is those who do the will of his Father. So when you and I set our hearts on a course to do the will of the Father, having been saved and sanctified by the blood of Jesus, we are adopted into a family who see God as the head, Jesus as the Son, and Jesus becomes our brother, and God becomes our Father. When we become saved, God brings us into a family God sets us amongst others who are going through things that we have been through or might still go through. God sets us amongst one another to carry each other's burdens. God sets us amongst one another to be encouragers of each other, to pray for one another, to share in life together, to be a hand. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan. We know the Good Samaritan was not a saved person. But let me ask you this. Who do they speak about in that parable? The Good Samaritan. Why do they speak about the Good Samaritan? Where was the Samaritan's heart when he walked past the man that was beaten down on the road? His heart was for that person. He might not have known the father. But remember, they say, in those who do the will of the Father. Now, yes, that doesn't mean if somebody's unsaved and somebody helps someone else, all of a sudden they're your brother. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm drawing the correlation between the action that was performed. So there is a requirement for us to live out something. Okay? We can't just say, when we sit here, we are family because we're saved. John also makes it explicitly clear in the Gospels when he speaks about in John 1, verse 12 to 13. You can put that up, please. 
that is. John 1, verse 12 to 13. I'll read from Yassalong. Yet to all who have received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. To know that if you have received him, if you have called upon his name, if you have, if you have invited Jesus into your heart and you said, God, I want you to be my Abba Father. He says, to you, I have given the right to become children of God. Not, I've chosen you and okay, maybe down the line. No, I've given you the right. That means <laughs> you are now entitled. Sure, that's a strong word. But in the kingdom, you are entitled to call him Abba Father. You're entitled to come to him through Christ Jesus. You're entitled to fall on your knees and say, God, I don't know how. And receive God's hand to lift you up and point you in the right direction. You are entitled to walk up to somebody else and say, pray for me, I'm struggling. You are entitled to go up to somebody and say, you know, I feel this is what God is saying. I want to submit it to you. And bring somebody with you to witness. You are entitled to go forth and to tell other people about how great God is because of what he's done in your own life. So does that relate to us being into a physical family? Do we go around telling people what our inheritance is when my daddy and mommy die? I'm not trying to be funny about it, but I want to draw the correlation because that's what the Bible speaks about. The Bible speaks about our inheritance having been born into a physical family in Romans 8.15. When we are born again into a spiritual family, where is our inheritance? Who do we live for? It says, so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearless, fearful slaves. Instead, you have received the spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Our inheritance shifts from an earthly wealth to a heavenly glory. Our inheritance shifts from things that will perish into the imperishable. Our inheritance shifts from a place of having to deal with unforgiveness, sickness, brokenness, hatred, hurt, to a place of restoration. Our inheritance shifts from a selfish, ambitious desire to a selfless, loving, gracious heart attitude. Because that is who God is. He's selfless. He's gracious. He's loving. Make no mistake. He is a righteous God. He is a God that will correct you 
if you don't listen. Believe me, I felt it. <laughs> but he is a God who will never leave you. He's a God that desires to adopt you, to bring you back, because that was his original intent. So yes, we hear that family is significant, and it's a, it's a very important building block within society. And we should nurture it. We should protect it. Because it is the example of Jesus and the church. A husband and a wife. Called to reflect to the world the love of God that he has for his church. Having sacrificed his son. Now this family, when you stood up. In Revelation 7 verse 9. I don't know if I gave you that scripture, Hannah. It's no need to, to put it up if you, you don't have it. But when we look at the, the spiritual family, it is not just of one tribe or one nation that's a family and that's a different family and so on. Yes, in the world, we, we look at that. In the world, the society has put boundaries and they've, they've kind of fenced in certain demographics. But in the kingdom... When you surrender your life to Jesus, those boundaries are taken away. When you surrender your life to Jesus, no wall can hold back what he sends the Spirit to do. No wall is too high for us to climb over. No ocean is too wide for him to cross. So when we feel in life there's a void, when we feel in life there's something missing. The only place we can feel that fulfillment is Netflix. I mean, no, not Netflix. Um, what's it called? Um, what's it called? God. God. Sure, I almost thought I lost you there. So... Some of us are sitting here and going, well, I've been part of this church for five years and I still feel like I don't belong in a family. That's fantastic. It's going to change today. <laughs> Some of you are going, but I've been trying to give my life to the family, but I don't know how. Great. It's going to change today. <laughs> I'm so excited. Because I heard somebody ask, well, how do we become part of the family? Was that, was it you? Ridwan? Was it you? No? Okay. <laughs> Somebody just got in Rico's house. Okay. It's, it's really that simple. For many of us, we've said, we've confessed our sins, we've come before God, we've prayed and He's entered our lives and He's adopted us. For others, we still, we struggle, we bump our toes, that's okay, we fall, um, but we're here to help you up. But when we look at Scripture... In Romans 8, 14 to 17, we hear that all we need to do when we hear the gospel is to confess our sins, place our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. In that moment, we are born again, we're adopted by our ever Father, and we become heirs to Him for eternity. It's a choice. It's not complex. 
At times we feel it's complex because we've got a lot of bark floating in our water. At times we feel it's complex because the leaves relying on the top don't allow us to see the true depth of God's love. But when we are willing for him to pour more water into that jug and allow it to overflow with the leaves and the bark to be washed away, never to be returned, we can avail our hearts to come to know the true depth of his love for us. So when we look at inheritance, and you say, but now, how does that practically work for me? As much as God is a practical God, there's no guarantee that practically things are going to change. God's not interested in the practical. He's interested in your heart. Because once he has your heart, everything else will look different. So our inheritance through action in today's time and age can be lived out through worshiping him, through coming together as a family, living in the blessing of what he has for us to share life together in his original intent and plan. We don't have the Garden of Eden, but we have its creator. How beautiful is that? You can't go around making your own Garden of Eden. It will never match to the matchless beauty of what he had done. Never. We can try. But let me ask, who wants to be part of a family so beautiful? Who wants to be part of a family of the creator of heaven and earth? I do. I want to continue the six of us. Sure. God have mercy. I want to remind you of something, eh? When God saved Noah, who else did he save? Correct. He's only going to save six of us. Okay, who else wants to be saved? Okay, all of a sudden you want to jump on the ark. Yeah, that ship has sailed. No, you missed the bus stop, but um, no, it, it's all good because God, as much as he's a righteous God, he's a God who loves us to have fun and live life with each other. There's so many challenges out there, so many things that we've got to face that rob us from the pure joy of what God has got for us. And I don't want us to underestimate that. You know, yes, we are sitting here with hurt. Some of us are sitting here with arrogance. Some of us are sitting here with pride. Some of us are sitting here with rejection. Some of us are sitting here with, I'm not worthy. And this is not a finger pointing at you. This is just the reality of if we had to spend time in God's word, the mark that will come up from when he pours the water into the jug. So if you want God to pour water into your jug, I want to ask that we open our hearts to what he's doing. 
Because I do never ever want my jug to run empty again. Believe me, when God starts working on you, He never ever leaves you till He's finished. Never. His desire for you is to be as perfect as He is. That's why He sent His Son. That's why He gave up the most precious thing in life for you, for me. So I want to start, I'm not going to say land, I want to end off. (laughs) Just with a couple of practical ways, because I think it's important for us to understand that as much as we are speaking about a heavenly inheritance and family that we end up living out our lives with, there are practical ways that when we apply ourselves to it, actually knit us closer as a family. And these examples I want to use I actually want to ask for a response. When I mention them, if you feel that that is something that we as a family actually sit under and do, I want you to say amen. No white handkerchiefs, just amen. Okay? Acts 2, 42 to 47. For those who cannot see the board... Look in the top right corner. It's written up there. (laughs) They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So if we start in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Okay. So do we as a church study the Word of God together? Do we? Okay, 2 Timothy 2 verse 16 says that all scripture is breathed, God breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So when we as a family study the word of God together, we use it for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Because that is the intent of the word of God. So when you become part of the family, Know that if there's something in your life that's not right, God's going to use us to bring correction. Not in a legalistic way, in a loving way. Secondly, we honor God together through worship. Psalm 34, verse 3. So those four people that worshiped this morning were the ones that said, Amen. <laughs> Okay, Psalm 34 verse 3 emphasizes the call to corporate worship where it says, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name alone. Oh, together. Yeah, together. Yeah. So we are encouraged to exalt His name together, not as individuals. Thirdly, we find accountability Within a church and within a family, there's a practical framework of accountability. Not so that we know your every move. But if I as a father get home after work and I walk in but Ella May is nowhere to be seen. And I ask Alette, where's Ella May? And she says, no, ask Gunther because Ella May was with Gunther. But Gunther doesn't know where Ella May is. As a father, I'm going to have this righteous like anger come up inside me. Like, but where? How can you not look? How can you not know where they are? Who was looking after Elamay? Elamay is playing with a friend two doors down. 
I would be worried. I let you be worried. When we love as a family, we love from that point of view of going, if Ella Makey had said to Alette, Mommy, can I go play by my friend? And Alette said, okay, I know where you are. That's great. I know the parents. And I get home and I ask, oh, playing by so-and-so. As a father, I know where she is. And God calls us to account to know the state of each other's lives for the very reason you're a year later in sharing family and being accountable. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Accountability is a crucial and very important part of our lives where it's a battle to overcome sin. Who struggles with sin? Okay. Okay. So remember, if you say you don't struggle with... No, let's not go there. Let's not go there. That's a different... uh, Sure. That's a different preach. (laughs) No, but but truly, iron sharpens iron. and, And that is an incredible thing. Us as an eldership team, there are robust discussions. Myself, in relationship with other people and other men, will know. Some of them are sitting here. There are robust discussions that have happened. But we're still here. We love each other through the things that we need to love each other through. God has not called us to a temporary place with an eternal glory so that we can spoil each other on earth. It's so that we can help prepare each other for what is to come to not leave anybody behind. So those who miss the ark better be at the next jetty because when God comes, he ain't coming back again. He's only coming back once. Okay? He's only coming back once. We find support in trials. And in what I shared earlier, for three years, I felt no support. I felt loneliness. But God was dealing with my heart. Galatians 6 verse 2 encourages us to carry each other's burdens. This doesn't mean that, uh, sure, if uh, Ulrich says, hey, but these things are too heavy for me, can you carry it? That I must carry it for the next 10 years. But when he shares something with me, and I can pray for him, and trust in my own life, that I can encourage him, or where he's struggling, and I take him and say, but let's help you look for this. Let's help. And we're supporting one another, not criticizing, not gossiping, not slandering, not giving free handouts just for the sake of going, well, oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. It'll make, it makes life easier for five minutes. But when we carry each other's burdens, we truly stand next to each other, we hold each other up, and we say, let's go. Okay? We gain opportunities to serve. Galatians 6 verse 10. As a church, as a family, we serve. We serve one another. Too soft. Was that too? Better. Okay, thanks. Is that why Harry, why you were jumping forward? You're like, I thought it was the priest. Come on, man. Uh, we gain opportunities for service. In, in church, I've spoken about supporting one another. But those who support are actually giving an act of service. 
So when we are serving one another, we are inevitably also supporting one another. We are not called to just receive and be fed. We are called to learn how to feed. When we, as a family, go out into the nations, where we know God has called us to disciple, to go out and make disciples, we go out to teach, to feed. But at the same time, we come back being fed because God is incredibly faithful in looking after and providing. So when we give up what we have as a seed into where we are going, God is the one that waters and causes that to grow. So I want to ask us that we, we look for every opportunity to put our hand to the plow as a church, as a family, and to work the field God has given us so that we can bring people in, not for the sake of putting bums on seats, because believe me, God will probably empty the church if that was the case, so that the people who really need it will have a place to sit. So my question to you is, are you going out and making disciples? Am I going out and making disciples? Are we? What are we doing about it? Are we, are we inviting people in? Are we telling them about how incredible God is and what He is doing with us as a family and through us? I mentioned make disciples, number 6, Hebrews 5 verse 12. Um, Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20, going into the nations and making disciples. And then finally, we have the opportunity to be hospitable. Enrico and Lizette are opening up their homes, or their home. So that was prophetic homes. There we go, there we go. Anyone else want homes? <laughs> and we, we look at hospitality and we go, well, what is hospitality? Is it just having people over? People that we know? No. The true meaning of hospitality is to entertain strangers. That's being hospitable. If I have Harry over at my house every single weekend, I'm just entertaining him. I'm not being hospitable. And I think that could be a challenge for most of us. So when we entertain and receive guests and treat them well, friendly and generous way, not just in our homes, but yeah, when we have visitors and we welcome them in, we are being hospitable. When we just stay together and greet the people we saw yesterday, again, we're not being hospitable. In Leviticus 19, verse 33 to 34, God speaks about when an alien lives with you. <laughs> no, but when an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. Now, in the Old Testament, when they referred to alien, they referred to someone outside within your foreigner there. Okay, I'm reading from a different version, yeah. Foreigner. Eh? Refugees, foreigners, yeah. That um, we entertain them, we invite them in, we look after them. And in the same sense, in Hebrews 10, verse 24, oh wait, sorry, no, I've, Hebrews 13, verse 2, reminds us to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels 
without knowing it. There are multiple scriptures that refer to entertaining angels, entertaining Jesus, etc., etc. Because the heart of God is for his kingdom to advance in us and through us. And when we reflect through hospitality, through serving one another, through being a family, the love of God, we end up entertaining. I'm going to skip quite a bit here. So I want to encourage us this morning that being part of a family, of God's family especially, is one of the greatest blessings that can be bestowed upon us. For me, I'm thankful that I am no longer where I was eight years ago. I'm grateful for the men that stood around me. I'm grateful for the woman that stood around Alette. I'm grateful to God that he never gave up on us. And that when I read this, that being part of God's family is the greatest blessing that can be bestowed upon any believer. And one that should drive us to our knees in a humble adoration. I don't stand before you proclaiming that I know everything and how it should work as a family. But what I can proclaim is that what I've spoken about here, I've experienced in life. And today I stand amongst family because of the word of God that has come true. So if you this morning feel that you want to become part of the family, if you this morning have been part of our family, but feel you want to become more part of it, I just want all of us to quieten our hearts and maybe close our eyes. I want to invite us to respond in faith to God's invitation this morning.